Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today we are starting a new series. And some of you got wind of this uh, earlier this week. I did a Facebook Live and we talked about the series and it's called Asking for a Friend. And what we're doing is we're tackling some tough questions for the next few weeks. And you're invited to, to contribute to this. And the way you can contribute is you can send your questions in at any time. And we will address as many of those as we can. When we have a topic we know is kind of ringing true with some folks, then we will address those things. And I will take some time over the next couple weeks as well to address some of these topics on social media um, and try to speak to some of that as well if we can. So if you've got questions, you can send your questions. You'll, you'll text the word asking for, it's asking and then number four, to 555 And when you do that, then you can uh, send your questions in, whatever questions you may have, and we will do our best to get those answered for you. Um, and so uh, let me start by saying this. There's some guiding principles for this series. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 says, Having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And so what Paul's telling Timothy is, avoid stupid controversies that are just going to cause division in the church. And by and large, we do our best to avoid conversations that are just going to cause division. Um, but we also want to make sure that we don't ever shy away from speaking truth in love to people. Um, what we see in John chapter 1 is that Jesus came to earth, the word became flesh, and he was full of grace and truth. And this is what I've discovered in my life. Many times individuals and many times churches are good at speaking truth, or they are good at speaking grace, but it is hard to speak both. It is easy to speak truth to somebody. If you don't believe me, somebody today might have spoken truth to you, and they said, uh, yeah, your hair doesn't look so great like that, right? That, is that true? Well, maybe, but is it grace? No. It's easy to be graceful if your hair's all jacked up, and you go, how's my hair looking? You go, oh, baby, it looks great. It looks fantastic. And little do you know, your hair looks like there's a bird living in it, right? And you didn't really need grace, you needed some truth there. And so the, tr the reality is, churches, people, we do this. We are good at truth or we're good at grace, but very rarely are we good at both. And so what I'm endeavoring to do today is I want us to walk through some difficult topics full of grace and truth. What we see in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, verse 14 and 15 from the Passion Translation, it says this, and then our immaturity will end and we will not be easily shaken by trouble nor led astray by novel teachings or by false doctrines or deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, listen to this, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church. So I want to just look at this passage. It says, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express truth. And the world we live in today says, if we disagree, we can't be friends. If you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, we can't be friends. If you're black and I'm white, we can't be friends. If you're a woman and I'm a man, we can't be friends. There's all kinds of issues that divide us. Uh, but what we see in Christianity, one of the marks of maturity in Christianity, is that we can disagree and love each other anyway. That, that you and I can be on different sides of the political fence and we can choose to love each other anyway because there's some things that are more important than politics. Uh, there's some things that are more important than what the media says and those things are the things of God. And, and so what Paul says is, 
His goal is that we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express truth. So I'm going to sincerely love you, but I'm going to sincerely speak truth to you as well, is what Paul's saying. And that's how we grow in our faith. We hear truth, we speak truth, and we grow. And so that's my goal for this series. Uh, So everything we talk about, everything we do, every topic, every word, every prayer is about redemption. It's about making sure people know that there is a God who desperately loves them. Um, So today, just so you know, we're going to begin with one of the most controversial topics you could imagine that we would talk about in church today, and that topic is homosexuality. Could you feel the tension just then, like, like in your stomach? Because it is a topic that is... uh, that is rife with people getting upset and angry on both sides of this conversation. And we've received a number of questions, uh, not just through this series, but over the last six months, I've talked to people. They've had questions like, can a person be born gay? Can gay people go to heaven? Should gay people be allowed to go to church, specifically go to our church? How do I treat gay people in my life that I know? Is gay marriage okay? If homosexuality is a sin, why didn't Jesus ever mention it? And these are all valid questions. And I would tell you today, if I just went down the list and answered these questions, it wouldn't do justice to what the Word of God says. Um, And so what I want to do is I want to answer these questions. Uh, A couple of them I'll answer directly, but for the most part, I'm going to answer them by reflecting on what the Word of God says about that specific topic. Um, But before we get into this, I I want you to know, I mean this sincerely, I've never I've never preached a message on homosexuality. I've been um, in, in platform ministry for 20 years, and I've never preached a message on homosexuality. Um, and I will tell you, I prayed more about this message than any other message I've ever preached in my entire life. Because uh, if you've been around Summit, you know I'm not afraid of, of speaking tough truths to our people, because I believe we need to hear tough truths. And it's not just for you, it's for me too. But the other thing is, I... When I tell you at the end of service that I love you, when I tell you at the end of service that I love you, I mean it sincerely. And the last thing I want is to speak words, even if they're true, to you that's going to hurt you, that's going to cause you pain. And so I wrestle with this tension because I feel like the father of this house a little bit. And I wrestle with the tension of speaking truth in love because I don't want anybody to be hurt. I don't want anybody to be injured. I I want you to know my heart. And so I want you to know this. I'll say this. Um, To the people that are in the room, watching online, that are struggling with same-sex attraction, you are welcome at our church. We want you to be part of our church. We love you. With that said, um, I... I love you too much not to speak truth to you. So what we're going to attempt to do today is walk through Scripture and help us see what does the Word of God really say. Because what happens is so many times um, heterosexuals uh, paint with a broad brush what homosexuals are like, how they are, and we've done them a disservice and an injustice. And so what I want to do is just walk through the Word of God together and say, what does this say for us? Because the truth is, you might go, Mel, I'm not gay. I don't struggle with that. That's okay, but I bet you know somebody who does. And if if you don't, you're the exception. Because I promise, I know the stories of enough people in our church to know that there are some people who are 
uh, gay, but they're not out. I know some people in our church that are um, struggling with same-sex attraction. I know some people in our church that have overcome same-sex attraction. And I know there are a whole bunch of people in our church that have a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew or a cousin or a brother who is in a same-sex relationship. So this is an issue that touches us today, so I feel like we need to address it. And I want to equip you to understand what does the Word of God really say. Now, it's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you, uh, but there's a book I read just last week. It's called Gay Girl, Good God. And the author um, did a fantastic job of just sharing her heart and her experience. And I want to show you a brief video just about her story, because I want, to hear, I want you to hear it firsthand from somebody who's walked through it. So take a look at the screen. A lot of how we talk about sexuality or how we view sexuality, it doesn't come from scripture, it comes from stories. Yes, there is the reality of same-sex attraction and what that means for humanity, but there's also the other reality that God is real and that his word is actual and that it is to be believed and when believed, things change. I think when I consider Jesus, he didn't just come and die, and that's that, but he actually lived. And in his living, he was able to understand the human condition and therefore offer us empathy because he got into it. And so I, I want this book to just be a means by which people could learn to love others well. I think as early as four or five, I felt like I was attracted to the same sex and I didn't know what to do with it, didn't feel the freedom to talk to anybody about it. And then even as a teenager, just kind of wrestling with stuff and just eventually submitting to it. The thing about feelings is God made them. God created us with the capacity to feel. And the main reason he did it is so that we could glorify him with our feelings. But the the thing about sin is sin distorted that. And so even when you go back to Genesis 3 and you see that Eve is looking at this tree that God said, hey, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. That was his word, that was to be believed, and if believed, she would continue to live freely. When she started to listen to Satan and be tempted, it said that she thought that the tree was desired to make one wise. I think it's interesting that she uses a word of affection to describe how she sees this tree now. And I think the desire was real. I think it was a real feeling that then governed how she saw the word of God. And so I can't trust my feelings because my feelings really ultimately have no authority. The word of God is the ultimate authority in everything. And so if I put my feelings above scripture, I'm gonna be led to death every single time. I choose God because I love God. And that's not to say that there isn't the still present gnawing of my flesh to want what I used to love, which is sin, which is lesbianism, which is women, which is pride. But what the Holy Spirit does when he comes inside of somebody is he completely makes them new. I'm able to look at the tree and see that the tree actually isn't good for food. I think it's a habit of some to, to assume that somebody coming to the Lord who is same-sex attracted, that coming to Christ means that your old affections will be done away with, that somehow you will become straight, that somehow you'll just desire marriage overnight and have kids and all of that type of stuff. And a lot of times it's presented like a kind of gospel. 
as if having heterosexual desires are actually a fruit of the Spirit and not self-control. There are many believers who love Jesus, are filled with the Spirit, are bearing the fruits of the Spirit, and are committed to a life of celibacy because they, as far as they know, will never find themselves attracted to the opposite sex. But the thing is, they are just as glorifying to the Father as I might be, being someone who God happened to allow to walk in a heterosexual marriage and have children. But the thing is, my marriage is not evidence of salvation but the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of salvation. I was bearing the fruits of the Spirit far before I ever met my husband. It's mainly three reasons I wrote the book. One, for those who are in the church and seeking to love the gay community, I wrote the book for them so that they can understand how it feels, how it feels to be someone who has an attraction to which you did not control or initiate. Um, and how hard it is to walk free from that. And so to have some sense of empathy. I also wrote the book for those who are believers in the church, who are yet still same-sex attracted, to say, I get it, you know, like, you're not alone in this, that there are other believers that God has saved and is going to glorify and is sanctifying that can fully understand how it feels to be in the position that you're in. There's also the third group that I wrote the book for, which is unbelievers, who think that this whole conversation on sexuality is just centered on sexuality, because it's not. Really, ultimately, this is more about God than anything. It's saying that Colossians 1.16 says that all things, including my body and my sexuality and my identity, all things were made through him and for him. And so this is less about sexuality and more about, are you living for the reason you were made, which is to know God and glorify him. And so I think what needs to happen is that people recognize that what God is calling those who are same-sex attracted to be is not necessarily straight, but holy that God is calling them to himself, and in doing so, even if those affections still exist, he will give you the power to flee them every single time because he's that strong. And so I think we need to reframe how we present the gospel. The gospel has to be, you're not coming to God to be straight, but you're coming to God for Jesus. He has to be the reason why people come, and when he is the reason why people come, they will stay with him the whole time because they weren't promised something that the scripture never promised in the first place. And so I wanted the book to kind of point to God. I know it's a memoir in many ways, but it really isn't about me. It's me leveraging my story so that you can see the gospel rightly. So I appreciate Jackie's story. And again, her book is called Gay Girl, Good God. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's, a, it's an easy read. Um, but one of the things she said in that video that I, I want to draw your attention to, she said, if I put my feelings above scripture, I'm going to be led to death every single time. And, and I, want, I want you to hear something today. Um, that is not a statement about homosexuality. That is a statement about our nature. So whether you are gay or straight, if I am led by my feelings instead of what the Word of God says, I will be led to death every single time. Because as a, as a heterosexual, as a straight man, if I am led by my feelings, it's still going to lead to death. And so what I want you to understand today is we are going to look at this topic, but there are some, there are some implications that supersede this topic, that they are a human condition, and it's not a gay issue or a straight issue, it is a human issue. 
Um, we're going to walk through a couple of the passages that deal specifically with homosexuality in Scripture. Uh, I'm not going to look at 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. If you want to write it down and look at it later, you can. Paul writes to Timothy, and Paul, we're going to reference some of his writing later. So we're going to omit that portion for today. Um, I do want us to look at, real quickly, Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 is the first, and I think sometimes it's the most misused portion of Scripture. What we see in this passage is Lot, the, the nephew of Abraham, has, uh, he has resided in Sodom. And he has two angelic visitors that come to him. And the men of Sodom, they come to him and they want to forcibly enter into relationships with these men. I'm trying to edit my words for you. So if there are anybody in the room that's uncomfortable. Um, so they want to have a forcible physical relationship with these men. And Lot refuses. And what we have seen is... Uh, there are people that have said, hey, uh, the reason Sodom was condemned wasn't because of their homosexuality, it was because of their, um, because of their aggressive behavior, because of their violence. That's what it was. Um, and I understand that because if you look at this passage in Genesis, the word homosexuality is never used. It never talks specifically about them being gay. What it does talk about is just all the other acts of unrighteousness they have. So that's been used to deflect at times and say, no, 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 that wasn't really the issue. But if you look at Jude, uh, it's, there's only one chapter in Jude, Jude verse 7. This is what Jude says. He says, in a similar way, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and nearby towns gave themselves to sexual immorality and a natural desire of different flesh. Now they all serve as examples of those who experience the punishment of eternal fire. Now, what we see here is that Jude um, is looking at the broader context, and, and it was actually the homosexual nature of their desires and not just the violent expression of those desires uh, that is highlighted by Jude. Um, one of the questions that I mentioned earlier that was asked this week was, if, um, if homosexuality is a sin, why doesn't Jesus ever talk about it? And I'll address that in a couple of ways. First, I would say this. Uh, Jude, according to tr Christian tradition, was the brother of Jesus. Um, and um, if, if you're Catholic background, you might understand Catholic tradition says that he was the cousin of Jesus. So whether you are, are Catholic or Protestant, no matter what you believe here, you have to understand he was someone who knew Jesus well. He was somebody who was intimate with Jesus. And so for him to speak out on this was, was significant. The other thing we see is, number one, there was a whole bunch of things that are condemned in Scripture that Jesus never talks about. Uh, and so the fact that he doesn't talk about it isn't uh, an indication that he is in agreement with it. Um, what we also see is Jesus' audiences was pro were primary Jewish people. So in first century Judaism, uh, this would have been a non-topic because you wouldn't have had to have this conversation because it was universally agreed that homosexuality was not accepted to God. It was a sin before God. So it was a topic that Jesus probably didn't have to bring up. What we do see is it was more common in Roman culture. So that's why we see the Apostle Paul addressing it. He's engaging it because that's where he's at. Um, Paul also addresses pedophilia because that was more common in Roman culture. Uh, and it was universally, um, it was universally uh, understood that it's an abomination in Jewish culture. So just because Jesus doesn't talk about pedophilia, but Paul does, doesn't mean it's less important to Jesus than it is to Paul. Same thing with homosexuality. So just by virtue of it not being there doesn't mean it's acceptable. Um, so when we look at this, I want you to understand that. Let me move on to the next passage. This is in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, and this is what it says. 
You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. And then if you move to Leviticus 20, verse 13, it says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And when I talk to people uh, about this passage, uh, one of the common refrains is, well, that's Old Testament, that's Leviticus. Because if, if you've been around church and you've read the book of Leviticus, it's tough to read Leviticus. Does anybody agree with that? Because it's rules and regulations and it's dietary restrictions and it's uh, laws about sacrifice and it's how to wear your hair and how long your dress needs to be and it's all these things. And so what people will commonly say is, that's Old Testament, that's the law, we're not under the law anymore, um, we're New Covenant, which I totally get. And if you've been around Summit, you've heard me talk about this some, but when we look at Scripture, um, there's ceremonial law, primarily ceremonial law, and moral law. Ceremonial law is what was practiced in the Old Testament, and that was what made us holy. And that's what allowed us to bring sacrifice to God, made us acceptable before Him. So we offered certain sacrifices. We wore our hair a certain way. We didn't eat certain things. Um, and thank God we don't do that today because bacon tastes good, okay? <laughs> there's lots of things we can't agree on, but we can all agree on bacon, right? And so nobody would say, hey, we need to observe the dietary restrictions because that was ceremonial law. That's what made us holy before God. But what we see is ceremonial law has changed because it was fulfilled in Christ. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what Jesus says is I'm not undoing the law, I'm fulfilling them. So what he's saying is the moral law, which is present in the Old Testament and it's present today, is reflective of the character and nature of God. That never changes because what we see in Malachi chapter 3 is God says, I am the Lord, I cannot change. So God does not change. So God didn't flip-flop from the Old Testament to the New Testament. What we see is there is moral law that we just understand. That's why nobody argues that murder is Old Testament. Because we go, no, 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 that's different. Yeah, it's different. It's moral law. It's reflective of God's character and nature. And so what we have to understand is there's a delineation between ceremonial and moral law. And Jesus makes that clear to us. So what we, we have to know is the moral law hasn't changed because God doesn't change. His character and nature remain the same today. So what we see here is um, a specific condemnation of homosexual behavior uh, according to the Old Testament. What we see in Romans, let me move into the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let me stop there and say this. Again, this is not a gay or straight issue. This is truth. When I live a lifestyle that's contrary to the word of God, I am suppressing the truth. I am telling myself God doesn't know what he's talking about and I'm smarter than he is. Let me come back to that, because it's so popular a statement. I know you guys love it. I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and their birds and animals and creeping things. So what they did, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks as we went through the high priestly prayer. We talked a lot about the glory of God. And so what we do when we, when we are 
living in unrepentant sin, when we say, God, I'm smarter than you are, I'm going to do my own thing, what we do is we are exchanging the glory of an immortal God for the images resembling mortal man. We're trading the immortal, the excellent, the glory of God for the common, for the ordinary, for the average. Verse 24 says, therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what have we done? We've traded the truth of God, which is the word of God. We've traded that for the lie. And the lie is um, any sin you struggle with, we can justify today. Well, porn's not that big a deal. Well, if my wife loved me, I wouldn't have to do this. If my wife loved me, I wouldn't have to have this relationship if, right? We can justify whatever we want. Um, And so again, this is not a a gay thing. This is a human thing. This is a sin issue that we all have resident in our hearts. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28 says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. And we'll come back to that. He says that three times. To a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now I want you to get ready for this because he mentioned homosexuality, but let's go through this list that Paul lists today. Evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, gossips. So Paul puts these in the same category slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that they who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So we can look at this and we can go, yeah, those gays. Or we can recognize in the eyes of God All of our sin is equally offensive to God. Because it's easy for us to go, man, those homosexuals, that's just weird. But but let's put it on an even playing field. We all sin. We all are sinful by nature. And it's easy for us to go, well, all I do is, and this is one of the reasons we don't I don't preach about specific topics like this normally because when I do, what happens is, if I, you know, today I talk about homosexuality, I can promise you there's somebody in the room that they're addicted to porn, they're a terrible husband, um, they're, they're not good fathers, they don't really have a relationship with God, but if I talk about this, they're gonna go, well, at least I'm not gay. And you would be wrong because your sin is just as bad as that sin. So it's easy for us to characterize, and this is what I want you to understand, on the other side of every issue is a human being. It's easy for us to say, um, hey, I'm, I'm a Democrat and they're Republican, they're bad. I'm white and they're black, they're bad. I'm man, they're woman, right? And on the other side of every issue is a human being who Jesus Christ gave his life for, who God desperately, passionately loves. And so it's easy for us to talk about a topic like this with, as a nameless, faceless person. But the truth is there are people in this room who struggle with this because you struggle with same-sex attraction or you know somebody, your son or daughter or family member that you love desperately has this issue. And so there's a name and face to it. 
So what Paul does is, I love Paul, he doesn't hold anything back. He just says, hey, here it is, and he lays it all out. So what we can see from this passage is number one, homosexual desire is not what God originally intended. When we look at the words natural here, uh, that they gave up their natural affections, one of the things you hear from people when you have conversations is, uh, well, how can this be wrong? This is how I feel. This is how I was born. This is all I've ever known. What they're saying is, this is natural to me. And I understand that. And I will tell you this, um, if you're here today and you are gay, or you're struggling with same-sex attraction, I will tell you that the feelings you have are real. Now, the feelings, just because they're real, doesn't mean they're holy, but they're real. What we see here in this passage of Scripture, though, is that when God, or when Paul is talking about the natural, he's not talking about our natural, he's talking about God's natural. He's talking about what is natural to the character and nature of God. And so what we do is um, we automatically think this is referring to our subjective experience and our feelings, but what it's talking about is, is what is evident in creation, what is evident in Scripture, uh, God's fixed way of, of creation. That is what is natural. What we also see is Paul's reference to um, lesbianism as well as male homosexual activity. It supports the idea that he is, he's condemning broadly all homosexual activity, that it's not a misunderstanding on our part today, uh, or contextually we don't get it, um, that, that today we understand what Paul was talking about. So the strength of Paul's language it should help us understand that he is, he's condemning all behavior across the board. This is what you have to understand. As we reject God, we find ourselves craving what we were not naturally designed to crave. So, as a straight man, if I say, God, um, I know I'm not supposed to have a relationship with a woman who's not my wife, but here's my justification. Here's why I want to do it. Here's why I'm going to have this relationship. I know what your word says, but my feelings tell me something else, so I'm choosing this. The more I continue down that path, there, there comes a point when God finally gives us up to it. And we saw that three times in the passage we just read. And this is what I would tell you. God eventually gives us what we really want. He, he gives us up. He finally just goes, okay, fine. If you're going to live in rebellion to me, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. And, and you're going to receive the consequences that come with that. And I want, to, I want you to know, the consequences aren't hell. We think about eternal, but it, the consequences are here on earth. Yes, hell is waiting for all of us that live in sin, unrepentant sin. But at the end of the day, the consequences are here on earth in broken relationships, in, in just loneliness and isolation and all the things that come with living a life that's contrary to the word of God. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the crea uh, creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, this passage is not about homosexuality. It's about sin. It's about valuing what we want with greater value than what God wants. It it's about us saying, I know what God said will bring me the greatest joy, but I think he's wrong. See, what brings me the greatest joy, according to Scripture, is all about making Christ the primary affection of my life. See, so many times uh, we think of sin as breaking the law and it's bad, but this is what you have to understand. Sin is really about having our affections misordered. Sometimes we love good things, but we love good things supremely above God. And what God wants to do is go, no, 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 help. I want, I want, you, to, I want you to love the things that I love. 
So I want, you, I want to rearrange your affections. I want to rearrange the things you love so that you will love me supremely. Because so many times we focus on not sinning, but what we need to focus on is affection for Christ. Because when we deeply love Christ, uh, we powerfully stop sinning. The Holy Spirit empowers us to lay down that nature. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Again, Paul lives lists. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty broad list, right? I would, I would venture to guess if I asked you to raise your hand when I read your sin and I went through the last two passages together, every, room in this, every person in this room would have their hand raised. I'm not gonna do that. But the truth is, there's something on the list for everybody because we're all there at some point or another. And what Paul does is he lays this out to help us understand that, that sin is equal to God. Uh, in the New King James Version, this passage, it says in verse 9, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites. So it splits this word into two, and this is what we see in the original language. In the original language, the Greek word for this, for homosexuals, is uh, malekos, and malekos means soft one, it literally means soft one. And in Roman culture, it was not, it was not terribly uncommon for a, a man of means to have a servant, a young man in his home, that would, um, that would do certain things around the house, but would also um, gratify the, the male sexually. So they weren't a slave necessarily, but it was seen as prostitution, and they were more effeminate is what the literal word means. It means effeminate. Um, and so what Paul's talking about here is, is a passive engagement in homosexual relationships. They, they might not have been seeking that or pursuing that, but they were involved in that. And then the second word we see here that's interpreted as sodomites, it's, it's pronounced uh, arsenicoitus. And... Um, this is a compound word. It means man and bed. And what it literally means is a, a man who will sleep with another man, a man who will in, in, engage in physical intercourse with another man is what it's talking about. And so what it's talking about here is this passive and active. That, that again, Paul is using language. He's using the exact same words that are translated from the Hebrew into the Greek that you find in Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus 18 and then again in Leviticus 20. So what it seems to be indicating and what I believe to be true is that Paul is saying, hey, what is true in the Old Testament is still true today. So just like Jesus said, hey, I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law, but the law is still active. Paul's saying, hey, if it was, if it was good in the Old Testament, it's still true today. Just because our culture is different doesn't mean the word of God is different. And so this is how Paul engages this. And so what he's really saying is, whether it's passive or active, forced or consensual, it is still sin. And I want you to know something. If you have had, if you've been sexually assaulted, that is not sin to you. You are not sinning because you've been taken advantage of. Um, that you've been sinned against, but if you were abused, if you were molested, I want you to know that is not sin for you. I've had people ask me, they feel have so much guilt and condemnation. That is, that is totally different. So, let me walk through three things and we'll finish up here. Three things from this passage I want you to know. Number one, homosexual sin is serious in the eyes of God. Paul says that the active and unrepentant homosexual will not enter the kingdom of God, period. Second thing I would tell you today, 
homosexual sin is not unique. We've talked about this a couple times already. Um, there's a reason Paul lists it with everything else, because he wants us to understand that any sin, any unrepentant sin in our life, any sin that we live with and just go, I know I'm smarter than God about this, um, will separate us from God. And, and I want you to know something. Um, ben Franklin said this, sin is not hurtful because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's hurtful. I want you to know the heart of our Father today. Um, God is much less concerned with my sin than he is with the effect of that sin in my life. So we think God's mad at us because we sin. I want you to understand something. As a heavenly father, God loves you desperately and passionately. He loves you like a good father loves his children. And he's not angry at you because you broke the rules. He's heartbroken for you because he knows what the consequences of sin are in your life. He knows whenever I live in violation to what his word is for me, what it does to me, and he is heartbroken over it. So that's why he's militant about his word. That's why he's militant about holiness, because he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to be separated from him at all. He doesn't want us to experience the consequences for our sin. And understand, when, again, I said this earlier, consequences, yes, there's hell waiting on those of us that, that choose to live a life outside of God. Um, but, but that is secondary to the fact that in this life there are consequences to the choices we make and the lives we live. And living apart from God in this life has negative consequences. So I want you to hear that. God is much less concerned with my sin than he is with the effect of that sin on my life. And the third thing I tell you today is homosexual sin is not inescapable. Uh, let, let me read this passage to you one more time. It says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Paul says to the church, I know you. I know what some of you have come out of. That used to be you, but that's not you anymore. He said, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is what I'm telling you today. Um, God loves you desperately and passionately. No matter who you are, no matter what sin you have lived with, no matter what you've done in your past, I'm telling you today, God loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his son to pay the price for your sin on the cross. There is hope for redemption today. And I want you to know something. If you're here today and you struggle with same-sex attraction, how do we respond? We're going to love you really well. We want you to be part of this church. We want you to come in here and worship with us. We want your kids in our kids' church, we love you. Hopefully we love you with the same love God loves you. That's, that's what we endeavor to do. But we're also gonna love you too much not to speak truth to you. And let me say this for the record. I had a conversation with a couple after our last service, and they said, what you talked about today, that was our situation. It was a straight couple who were living together, and they came to talk to me about some things, and I just said, I just gotta be honest with you. Here's Here's what I see. 
God can't bless your relationship because you're, you're, according to scripture, you're not living right. And so this couple, they ended up getting married and man, God's doing some crazy things in their lives and they talked to me after service and they said, what you talked about today wasn't even about homosexuality, that was about us. Yeah, it was. But I you, what I want you to know today is uh, there's room at the cross for every sinner, right. including me. There's truth that's gonna be spoken, but it's gonna be full of grace and love. There's a place of acceptance. There's a place of love here because that's the heart of God. A friend of mine pastors a great church up in Dubois, uh, Tri-County Church. His name's Chris Trethway. Pastor Chris said this, uh, this last week on social media, he said this, truth points out you're broken. Grace simply says you're healed. Truth whispers you're accountable. Grace shouts you're forgiven. Grace says it's okay not to be okay. Truth says, but don't stay there. Grace reminds us you're loved. Truth reminds us you're loved. So how do we move forward? That's what I would tell you. If you're here today and you've got friends or family members, people you love that you care about, that are gay or have same-sex attraction, what do you do? You just love them really well. Uh, what we see in Scripture is Jesus, um, lepers came to Jesus and he prayed for them, but he didn't pray for them in a distance. He didn't go, no, no, you guys stay over there. I'll pray for you. It'll be fine. What did he do? He drew close to them. He put his hands on them and he prayed for them. He did something that was totally abnormal for the culture at the time. It made him ceremonial unclean. He was, at that point, he was unclean to worship. But he said, it's okay, I'm gonna do something because that's what I need to do, and this is what I'm telling you. A lot of times in the heterosexual community, we look at people that are living a gay lifestyle and we go, oh, well, they've got the scarlet letter, they're terrible, they're horrible. And that's not the case at all because the gay people I know are some of the most loving, kind, gentle people I've ever met in my life. And if I, if I fail to engage in a relationship with them, I'm robbing myself of an opportunity and I'm robbing God of an opportunity. So what do we do? We engage people that don't believe the same thing we do. We love them really well with the love of Christ. And, and we never, ever, ever shy away from speaking truth in love to them, no matter who they are. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus did. And that's my challenge to you. Speak truth saturated, soaked in love. You can't control how they respond, but... But you can do what you know God's called you to do and you let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Amen. If you're here today and you've got kids, people you love that are same-sex attracted, I just want you to know we're here for you. We're praying for you. If you're here today and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, uh, we're not gonna cast you out. We're gonna walk you through this. We believe God's got a purpose and plan for you and we wanna help you. Let me pray with you. Lord, we love you. And I'm so grateful that you love us in spite of us, in spite of our own sinfulness, in spite of our own selfishness, you love us anyway. So God, I pray today Lord, number one, you'd open the eyes of our hearts. You'd help us see who you really are, how you love us. But God, help us to see who you love as well. God, help us to see that you love uh, gay people desperately. And God, I pray for the biases that we've had as, as many people in this room that are heterosexual. God, I pray that we would, Lord, we would repent of those biases, God. Lord, the barriers that have kept us from loving and engaging in relationship with people and reflecting your love to people, God, I pray that we would repent of that today, that we'd set that aside and we would love the way you love. God, I pray that, that you would help us engage people 
with a high level of grace and a high level of truth, God, individually and corporately. And I pray that you be glorified through us. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are struggling with these feelings. Lord, I pray that you'd open up their eyes to your truth and draw them to your beauty, God. Draw them to your majesty. Let them see how incredibly good you are, that you're not mad at them, but you are crazy about them. And I pray that your beauty would shift hearts. So God, have your way among us today. Now with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I just wanna ask if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I recognize as you were talking today that my life is separated from God, that sin in my own life is, is preventing me from being able to inherit eternal life. And it might not even be sexual or, or homosexual sin, but you recognize today there's sin in my life, unrepentant sin that will prevent me from spending eternity with God. And, and I need to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I need to I need to make things right. I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward. I'm just gonna pray with you where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you, on my left. Yeah, thank you in the center section. Who else would say that's me? Pray for me, Mel. Yeah, thank you, on my right. Thank you, up in the balcony, thank you. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these and say pray for me, Mel? Yeah, thank you, on my left. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, I see you, sir. On my right. Praise God. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this really simple prayer with me. Say this out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Help me to love what you love. And help me to love how you love and help me never go back to my old life and my old affections but from now on I am yours in Jesus name amen amen come on let's give God a round of applause today listen if you prayed that prayer and you meant it we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. You can take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says salvation. On the other side it says need prayer. If you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation and take it over to our information center when we finish here in just a moment. Uh, they're going to give you a free Bible and just help you get started on your journey. Um, this is what I would tell you guys today. Um, if you're here and you're angry with what we just talked about, I want to talk to you about it. Uh, please, please, please. Don't walk away from the church. Don't walk away from relationship because you're upset about something I said. I love you and I'm committed to love you even if we disagree. So I wanna walk with you through this. So if you've got questions, you've got things you're not sure about, I would love to sit down and just talk with you through this. So let's get on the same page. Let's walk through this together. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here today. Here's what's gonna happen right now. The worship team's gonna lead us in one more song. While they're doing that, our prayer team's coming up on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, as we begin to sing, step out, find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, Pastor Ricky Ingram, our youth pastor, is gonna come up and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So stand your feet all over the room. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Guys, I want you to know, I'd say, say this often to you, but I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great week.